This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hey, it's your host, Krista Mix. Do you know that I write custom songs? Well, here's a bit of my work. I can write you a sky song or You don't want to hear me rap. Pick any other style. Trust me. I could even write a ballad for your anniversary or your birthday. Looking for a voiceover, jingle, or music for your business, podcast, or TV show? Well, look no further. I'm your guy. For more info, email me at kristamakes at gmail.com. Now let's get into this awesome episode. Hey everybody, we've got a real good one for you. Today's guest is Brett Detter, lead vocalist and multi-instrumentalist for the Greensburg, Pennsylvania rock band, The Juliana Theory. Brett and I dismantle and put back together The Juliana Theory's most popular song, We're at the Top of the World. Taken from their album from the year 2000, Emotion is Dead. Brett tells a familiar tale, one we've heard a number of times on Krista Makes a Podcast, that this track was written very quickly in about 20 minutes. He went on to explain that he had the choice of working with a producer whose band was a huge influence to him, but opted to go with someone lesser known, due to being able to afford more days recording in the studio. A decision that was not only wise, but is what I feel led to this particular track being so special. The song is simplistic, takes you on a little pop journey for just over three minutes, and continues to build until they end the song with a classic rock acapella ending. To find out which rock band influenced that ending, stick around for all of this and a whole lot more. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Brett, what's going on? What is up? Not too much. Where uh, where are you at at the moment? I am currently in the city of Los Angeles. Very nice. Well, I want to uh, thank you for, for sitting in with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really like the podcast. I listened to a few episodes and you do an amazing job, seriously, of like going through songs and kind of just really 
getting in deep on it. And I really appreciate that nerd level of stuff because <laughs> I'm a nerd too. It, 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 it is rather nerdy. And uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I, I appreciate that. You know, we've, uh, we've less than Jake's done some warp tours with uh, Juliana theory before and you guys, it's crazy. And I, I've, I've said this before on the show, you guys have been around for going on 25 years now, but it just, to me, it just, it still seems like you're a new band. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Well, we were we were away for so long that ten at least ten of those years we didn't exist in any form. So, so yeah, we we kind of are new now, right? <laughs> we'll just pretend that's true. <laughs> we'll just totally pretend we're a new band. You're new again. Well, for the listeners, I want to give uh, give a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, the Juliana Theory formed in Greensburg, uh, which uh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania, is where our trusted and wonderful producer, Mr. Chris Fafalius, lives. And uh, you guys were also kind of uh, from uh, Latrobe. I guess the locals call that uh, Latrobe, I think. And uh, <laughs> that's where Mr. Rogers and the golfer Arnold Palmer are from. Uh, you guys were formed in 1997, and uh, you originally started as a side project because uh, everybody was in other bands, but eventually uh, you all committed to it uh, as your full-time band. And uh, I guess your first performance was at St. Vincent's College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where you guys kind of rose to prominence on the local scene, were then signed to Tooth and Nail and released your debut album, Understand This is a Dream, uh, in March of 99. In the year 2000, you released Emotion is Dead, and uh, that's the album that uh, this song, We're at the Top of the World, is on that we're going we're gonna to talk about today. That album went on to sell uh, 130,000 copies. The Emotion is Dead album contained a ton of different styles, from heavier songs to pop songs to songs that incorporated electronic elements. And uh, Emotion is Dead was considered uh, one of the uh, emo albums of the time, but you, you guys are anything but that to me. You, you guys are really, really have, you know, you absolutely have your own sound. Uh, we Are at the Top of the World is the Juliana Theory's biggest song on Spotify with over 4 million plays. And, uh, you know, the album was produced by you and, and Barry Pointer. And I want to talk about him a little bit. Uh, he's produced some heavier acts like Stretch Armstrong, No Innocent Victim, and Embodiment. Um, how did you hook up with, with Barry back then? The band had only recorded basically a four-song demo that we did in a, in a studio in Pennsylvania in about three hours. And at the exact same time that we started the Juliana Theory, I also joined the metalcore band Zeo, like literally the same week. And Zeo was on Tooth and Nail, and we went and recorded an album called Where Blood and Fire Bring Rest, and we recorded it. We chose to make the record with Barry in Little Rock, of all places where he's from, because he did this record by this band called Living Sacrifice that we really liked and thought it was really cool. And... So that was a metal record and that band was from Little Rock. So I'm sure they just, you know, chose the place nearby with somebody they liked, but we really liked what they did. And so when Zeo went and recorded, that was really my first time spending, you know, two weeks or whatever in the studio and really getting to kind of look at songs and look at production and think about, you know, there's a here's a producer saying, try this, try that, maybe you're ahead of the beat or different things where I'd be like, I'm ahead of the beat. I, I don't feel like I am. And you, you can't even hear the the differences that he could hear. But we just got along really well. And Barry and his assistant, Jason, were just like two of the most sweet, nice human beings who just made 
us feel really comfortable. And so very shortly after this, Juliana Theory ended up signing to Tooth and Nail because I was already on the label, I guess. And, you know, they were pretty much, <laughs> they were pretty much the only record label that I even knew anybody at or whatever. And, you know, it was like, oh, it's time to make your first record. And I remember it at the time, the label was talking about us recording with Jay Robbins. And that would have made total sense because Jay did a lot of records that were kind of in the world where we were at or where we wanted to be. And we were also big Jawbox fans. You know, it was one of the first bands I ever drove to see when I was really young. Like, I remember going to D.C. to see Jawbox and, you know, I was a fan of Burning Airlines, etc. But our budget was super small for the first record, and it was basically like, you can either record with Jay for, it was like five days, and then I was doing the math, and I was like, wait, we could go to Little Rock, and for that same amount of money, I could record with Barry for like nine or ten days. And I just thought, we've never really spent a long time in the studio, and I know that working with Barry and Jason was really easy and really comfortable, and I know that they would get good sounds, and, and I liked being around them. And I really thought that those extra few days would be a big help. And so we opted not to go with the bigger name producer that was somebody we were a fan of and just, you know, for me to go back to Barry. And that then we ended up, like, I think doing three or four different, like, records and EPs with, with him. So I think you made the right decision. This sound is kind of timeless. It doesn't sound 90s. It doesn't really sound early 2000s to me. It sounds like I can't really pinpoint what era of music it's at. It's timeless. And and I think that's a, that's a great thing that you, that you captured with Barry. Uh, I love Jay Robbins. Uh, we, Les and Jake played probably their fifth or sixth show with Jawbox back in 1992 wow. on my birthday. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. That's amazing. <laughs> I, begged, I, I begged the club owner, please let us on. Jawbox was like my favorite, one of my favorite bands at that time. And, uh, but that's interesting how, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking it's like being a young uh, songwriter, young person in a band, you may have been like, I, I got to work with Jay. He's such an influence. But uh, you, you took the chance with Barry and, and, it, and obviously it worked out. It really was something that I had to think about for a while because I remember catching somehow getting one of Jay Robbins's guitar picks at that show that I went to, like either he dropped it and I like put it in my wallet and carried it around. I was like, I have, I have Jay Robbins from Jawbox's <laughs> guitar pick. So, so like, you know, fast forward, whatever it was five years later to be like, Oh, you know, you could make a record with this guy was, but yeah, definitely that idea of having, I think it was four more days in the studio. I was just like with, with how, green we all were at the time i was like you know i think we could really use that extra time so right well a couple more things i want to touch on before we we dive into the song uh you know as i researched this there's been many discussions i found on the internet with you that uh you kind of always made fun of the lyrics of the song and and, and maybe it's not your proudest moment uh, lyrically you know because there's a lot of sha-la-las and whatever but that's what i love about this song uh, is the simplicity, and I say simplicity, it's the simplicity on the outside, but when, when I really peeled back the layers of this one and got into it, there's there's so much to talk about, and just how this song builds, it's it's really interesting to me, and man, I've been listening to it the past couple of days, I can't get it out of my head, 
It's it's so catchy. It is just like a just a little little pop nugget that's just just, just perfect. Um, you guys went on to sign with Epic Records in 2001, and uh, the major label debut Love was produced by uh, Jerry Harrison uh, of the Talking Heads. And then you released another album after Love. And then, as you said a moment ago, you broke up uh, in 2006. Uh, did a couple reunion shows over the years, but recently you're reunited, and uh, I guess some new music's going to be coming out soon uh, on Equal Vision. Yes. It's been a very long time coming. We actually, we started talking with Equal Vision in 2000. We were going to do, if I recall correctly, we were going to do a split seven inch with Zayo in 2000 on Equal Vision. And basically right at that moment in time is when we got in a bidding war with majors and basically all of a sudden didn't have the time to do a split or whatever it was. And, you know, I'd kind of stayed friends with Dan from Equal Vision to a to a degree. And just basically, we released our first new single in like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years, at least. No, more than that. Last year on Equal Vision. And then we released earlier this year a record called A Dream Away, which is basically reimagine versions of some of like our fan favorite songs. But... Can I jump in there? I wanted to, I was going to tell the listeners, yeah, the reimagined version of uh, We're at the Top of the World. <laughs> the video is awesome. If you love black metal, or even if you don't like black metal, you have to check this video out. It's hilarious how it starts and really cool. The song's not that much different. The sonics are, but it's definitely a different take, uh, take on the version. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Just one of those things where Josh and I did this acoustic tour in 2019. It was the first time we had ever done anything like that. And I didn't really put a lot of stock into the idea of us playing an acoustic set, but we just ended up getting along so well and had such a good time together and got to hang out with people every night who reminded us that they appreciated the band or that certain songs meant a lot to them or whatever it was. And that just kind of led us down this path of making new things, et cetera. Well, I'd like to ask you, you know, around this time, around 2000, when you wrote We're at the Top of the World, uh, what were you listening to? What what was influencing you? Because again, I know what was going on in 2000. I know the bands that were out there. I know you kind of, kind of got lumped into the, as classified as emo, which I don't you know, think that at all about you guys. This track in particular, there's so many different things that I'm hearing in here. So what what was kind of, what, you know, your, your inspiration? What were you listening to around the time of this track was written? Well, I'll say, like, as far as the emo type things at the time, we definitely were into Sunny Day Real Estate, Texas is the Reason, Sense Field, The Promise Ring, stuff like that. Uh-huh. But at the same time, we were pretty unabashed in our, how do you say that? Unabashedly, unabashedly into a lot of like radio pop. I remember getting crucified when we told people that we love the first Third Eye Blind record and we thought it was amazing. (laughs) And, you know, a a couple of years later, that didn't seem like such a sacrilegious thing. You know, I'd be talking to kids in bands and they'd be like X amount of years later and everybody would admit that they liked it. But things like that, we... Everybody, every, yeah, everybody was referencing that record at some point, but, right? Yeah, I just mean like, it's just funny. We were kind of from day one, never afraid of anything pop related. So, you know, we love stuff like that. But I remember at that 
point in time, we were really into the Flaming Lips, Soft Bulletin record. We listened to that constantly. We listened to a lot of Siamese Dream when we were recording. I think we listened to, you know, it's a lot of Elliot Smith, a lot of a lot of radio pop, to be honest, and then like, you know, the DC kind of stuff. And I think for the most part, though, it's obvious when you listen to the song that we all grew up listening to classic rock and oldies and like classic pop. There's there's kind of no way to deny the Beatles influence or even the influence of like doo-wop or the, the oldie station in Pittsburgh, because <laughs> that's that's something that kind of was super important to all of our musical DNA. Yeah, I mean, I can I can hear a lot of what you were talking about. If I can hear Flaming Lips in here, I can hear Sunny Day, I can hear the Beach Boys even with, with some of these harmonies and the way they're layered. It's, uh, and, and, you know, the Beatles, it's a uh, very interesting track. I want to jump in now. Um, we're at the Top of the World is, is three minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, the first three seconds are just drums right off the top. And uh, the four-second mark, this clean guitar comes in. It's panned off left, and there's a tambourine that's panned off to the right that's just on the snare hits. And then um, right when the lyrics come in, the bass comes in with the vocals. Killer bass tone and bass line here. I, I really, really like it. Uh, the guitar goes to, to stereo, but it seems like it's still a bit more uh, predominantly off to the left uh, left speaker. Verse number one begins at the 10 second mark. I'm going to, I'm going to read these lyrics, Brett, and I'm going to have you, have you set them up for us. Oh no, this is <laughs> this is literally like, I, when I was listening to episodes, I was like, I'm going to ask Chris to please not go through the lyrics line by line on this song. Well, I'll take it easy on the sha la la parts with you. How's that, Brett? <laughs> That sounds good. <laughs> well, we'll com- well, it's going to be our first compromise on Chris to makes a podcast because I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, there, there's a bit much as the shalalas, but they're perfect, man, for this song. They really are. First verse, we're at the top of the world, you and I. We got a lot of time and it sure feels right because you reached in your pocket and pulled out a pass that says you can take me anywhere. What's that all about? I have no idea. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think it was about. If you know, if you if you want my my critique, and I'm I'm usually wrong when I start uh, uh, trying to figure out what the lyrics mean in songs. Uh, very rarely am I right, and I've I've been I've been very surprised on this show when artists tell me what they're really about. But uh, I don't know. This kind of felt like maybe you were out on the road. You're on top of the world with your band. You got a lot of time, but things feel right. You reach in your pocket and you pulled out a backstage pass, and and. You gave it to somebody that basically says you can take them anywhere. I'm probably wrong, though. It didn't. It definitely didn't have a, any specific band-related connotations to it that that I know of. I think, if I'm being honest, it was a very just universal way to kind of signify the idea of youth and freedom and the kind of like, here you go, here's your here's your permission that you you're now free to roam about the country like that kind of vibe just maybe not even that you have to go anywhere physically but just it was just kind of a way of saying like everything's everything's cool right now everything's everything's fun everything's easy and 
you can do you or whatever. But I think I have to say, even before we go on, because it's kind of too central to the song, is the idea that this is one of those songs where, and I've heard a million people say this, and, I, and there's a lot of truth to it. In my experience, there's two different types of songs. There's the type of song that you can craft meticulously, sometimes for months or sometimes for years, and it can continually get better because you're crafting it. You know, I hear about like, you know, Max Martin and his camp will do that. They will workshop a melody. You know, they might work on a pre-chorus melody for three months and continually change things and change the production a hundred times. And then there are those songs that feel like they were dropped out of the heavens or from some other dimension or somewhere in the ether and they were given to you and you don't really know how or where they came from. And a lot of times those are the ones that seem to have the most magic or the most connection to people. And this is one of those songs to where I think it, I'm not kidding, maybe a 25 minute total process. So Josh Fiedler comes in to practice with that guitar part that starts the song and and the bass line. So literally that and that bass line is like that's just such a classic McCartney-esque kind of pop bass line that's so hooky. If you didn't have that bass oh, it's line, ki- it, it's ki- it's killer and the tonality of it is amazing. And you know and, and real quick, not to interrupt you, but before we go any further, Speaking of the bass tone, just the tones in general on this, I I love the production. I had read that you guys kind of did this in maybe your living room or Barry's living room in between studios, and and I also heard that uh, that it was done analog and digitally. This recording is that is that true? This song in particular was all done in his studio, but his studio was a very very no frills converted two car garage that was barely converted from from what I can tell, <laughs> just behind a really modest house in a very modest neighborhood in in Little Rock but it was actually it's funny the basics were recorded on DA88 which was like that yeah those of you those of you listening who don't know it's a technology that I don't think really exists anymore that's somewhere in between tape and digital but they were like the, yeah these little cassette looking things that looked like mini VHS or whatever and so, yeah, we had those, and, and we the whole first record, Understand This is a Dream, was recorded that way. And then for Emotion is Dead, I remember the budget went up a little bit, and for whatever reason, Barry kind of knew that this record had potential for the band and for him to kind of do something. And so he was like, you know what? I'm investing in this new thing called Pro Tools. And, you know, I had heard of it or whatever, but... He's like, I'm going to buy Pro Tools because I think it could really help us. And so he got Pro Tools and we had it installed in the studio like one third of the way through the process. So we had already recorded basics and then suddenly we take like two or three days to set up a computer because I don't, there wasn't even a computer in the studio and to kind of like sort of learn Pro Tools. And I sat there and kind of watched him and learned along with him so I think a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff was total trial and error. Like, I'm not sure if we knew how to crossfade 
edits and things like that for a really long time but <laughs> yeah well that was that was still in the infancy of pro tools and heck it took uh you know sometimes five six minutes for a, a computer to, to boot up back then it was just the technology was just such in its infancy you know so true you know getting into the to chorus one here it's at the 27 second mark and we're already here On that second line, the shalalas there, there's a killer guitar run that mimics the uh, the vocal there. That's really cool. And do you guys recall doing demos of this song, or was was this all kind of done in the studio? I, I guess what I'm asking is, on the demo, was that little little guitar run there? I don't believe that we ever demoed Top of the World. We definitely started demoing. This is the first record that we started doing demos for. And I had like this little rolling digital thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we might have demoed this. Now that I think about it, that's, that's really hard to remember. I, r- I really have to jog my memory. I'm starting to think maybe we did have a clumsy demo of this somewhere. But I almost almost think Josh might just actually, pl- I might actually just play that live even if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's what I love about the song. It's the subtlety of how this song builds. And that's one of the first things. And again, there's no backing vocals up to this point. There's the backing vocal, I'm calling it the response thing. You know, the sha-la-la-la, sha-la-la-la, that second time. But other than that, there's no, there's no harmonies here in terms of backing vocals. There's that little guitar run. It seems like when the chorus hits, there's an extra guitar that comes in as well. And there seem, there's also an, I'm hearing an octave guitar. Uh, and the tambourine now is not just on the snare hits as it is in the verse it's played more open uh which is really cool and then on the second half here of the chorus which is all shalalas the drum beat is broken up with a double tom hit that just kind of changes the feel there and it's it, it's really neat On, on the last Shalala, again, on line four, there's that killer little guitar run. And I just, it's panned off to the left speaker and it's just, it's so cool. I appreciate it as well. The, yeah, every, everybody did really tasteful stuff for sure. Right on. Coming out of chorus one, the drums are just by themselves again, just like they are at the top of the song. And it, I haven't really felt this in a while with a song or, or maybe I've never felt this or thought this, but I, I look at this as like a reset like it's the the song's almost starting over. It, it's really really refreshing how that how that part comes in there. I really I really like it where it's just the drums again set you up for verse two. Hey everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. 
Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. And now, back to the show. I love verse two because there's three things that happen in here. Three things that, Brett, I could never do. If as as hard as I could, uh, could try, uh, I couldn't break up my natural voice and go falsetto on one word. That's a talent. That's something that the people that can do it, such as yourself, they can do it great. Um, I just could never get my voice to do that, and it's just it, every time someone does do it well, I'm like, wow, it's it's cool. We're on the top of the world here tonight. The uh, lyric here is, we're on top of the world here tonight. We've got a lot of time, and it sure feels right. And on that word, sure, that's where the falsetto uh, vocal comes in. Because I'm up here running behind you on up is the falsetto. And the last line is, I'm up here running and repeat, on, and you go up there on up. Was that how the song was, uh, again, when you, I'm not sure you remember uh, demoing it, but when you wrote it, were those uh, falsetto parts there? Was that something in the studio that you or Barry or someone or Josh said, hey, put put those falsetto notes in there? That's definitely how it was written. It was. Yeah, I, I don't think necessarily very much of this song. Again, there are so many examples of songs for the band that we or I in particular overthought stuff to, the, to death. But this is one of those songs that every single thing happened as far as the writing so quickly that I don't think really put a whole lot of thought into it. It just kind of happened like, yeah, I just sang it. Oh, cool. Let's do it a little different with the falsetto. I don't, I'm not really sure, but it's just one of those things. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, getting into chorus, chorus two, it's uh, again, sha-la-la-la, and there's the response of sha-la-la-la, and then the sha-la-la-la-la-la-la, that, that line there. On the second line, the melody changes. Uh, here on the last uh, la, it's just a cool little change, and then on the 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 second line here of the chorus, there's not that space that there was in chorus one. You do the sha la la again, which is another change.
which again, you say this song was 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 written really quickly and you just kind of threw it out there, but it's amazing because there is a lot of intricacies within this song. As I said at the top, it seems like uh, there, there, this is a very simplistic thing, but there are are some really cool nuances here. I feel like that 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 different line on the response vocal, the ending with a with a like bend or whatever it was. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that was one of Barry's ideas, if if I recall properly. That's really cool. And on the second line, that guitar run is there again, as it is on the fourth line here. And then, um, you know, the last uh, la uh, uh, on line four, the melody changes there as well. It is different than, than chorus number one. It doesn't feel too different. And as I, I was listening through, I was like, this feels different. And then I, I went back to chorus one. I'm like, oh, because they have the spaces there. So again, as I mentioned earlier, the song at this point is building. It's not just carbon copy, which there's something refreshing about that too, Brett, where, you know, a lot of times now you listen to pop music or, or any kind of music and you can just tell the chorus one was just copy and pasted to chorus two and chorus three. And there's something to be said about the way you guys were doing it here. It just, it, you know, chorus two breathes differently than chorus one. It's great. I think that's an important part of songwriting. And even if you do copy and paste certain elements in modern production, I think there is an importance to changing things up enough or adding something new in each section or when something repeats in order to just keep things fresh because you know you as a listener it's more fun to have something come in you know that's that's a little bit different that you haven't heard earlier or whatever and so i think that's a good kind of rule to follow if possible it is but chorus two isn't that much out of left field or different to where it's it's jarring exactly it kind of works it it works seamlessly here and you know the the very first time you know i had seen your band uh, of course at warp tours i don't recall this is you know your your biggest song but i don't recall hearing this song i've really dove in the past couple days and man the very first time i put this on a few days ago i listened to it by chorus two i was I'm, i'm a sucker for for la la la's and just catchy pop and i'm like okay i'm sold by by the second core i was i was fully fully in and then <laughs> at the one minute one minute and 44 second mark this bridge hits and you want to talk about going someplace else uh the whole mood of the song changes uh, a single bell starts the top of the bridge off it's the only time you hear this bell a ding uh, and the acoustic guitar comes in. It's playing a nice arpeggio, uh, picked part, uh, panned off to the right. Uh, the tambourine is shaking uh, off to the right, and then there's a shimmied tambourine, I'm calling, that's off to the left that every you know bar or two is going, you know, kind of just making a little noise off to the left, and this is where the violin uh, strings uh, come in that are panned off to the left, and it's just, Wow. This is really where I kind of hear that what you were talking about that, uh, you know, that Beatles thing. It's really, you know, the musicality here is is sophisticated. It's just it, it's cool. And it's it's a total departure from what's going on so far in the song. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun section. I I recall in the studio, there was only one picture hung up 
and that was right above the mixing board. There was a a picture of all four of the Beatles in their Sergeant Pepper's outfit, just like staring at us at all times. <laughs> so we couldn't we couldn't escape them anywhere that we went. And and you know I think like what's funny is when when Josh came to practice with the bass line of the verse and the guitar part in the verse. You know, he told me this years later that he always pictured it as this kind of Beatlesque thing. And I'm not sure that we necessarily even immediately picked that up at, at the time. But I think once we got in the studio and kind of, you know, we're faced with seeing the Beatles look at us every day, it just kind of became inevitable that it would it would go as far in that direction as we could take it at that age in our lives, I guess. For being your age and the scene you guys were called from and a lot of your influences, I mean, this didn't sound like anything else that was going on there, especially this bridge part. You guys kind of had your own thing going here. It's just, it's just different and it's cool. Uh, th- this takes us up to the uh, that instrumental part is, is about six seconds. And in the one minute, 50 second mark, uh, the vocals come in for the bridge here. And uh, you say, we're at the top of the world, you and I, and the next line's falsetto. We've got a lot of time and it sure feels right because you reached in your pocket and pulled out a pass. You can take me anywhere. That's also falsetto, that first line. Then it's, you can take me anywhere. 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 And the last anywhere, the melody changes on that word before we hit chorus three and before we go on to chorus three there's a couple things in here i want to talk about when the vocals come in here for the bridge we're at the top of the world you and i an electric guitar also comes in with single notes panned off to the left that is mimicking that acoustic guitar that's panned off to the right it's just another layer you guys added here that's just i love when that electric guitar comes in it's awesome we're at the top of the And on the line, because you reached in your pocket and pulled out a pass, there's four tom and snare hits. Uh, and then the band is back in. And then that falsetto, you, you can take me anywhere, just on the first line. Uh, and then it has four more lines of the same lyric. Right there on that second line after you go falsetto, you can take me anywhere. The bass gets really funky here. And there's like a synthesizer that comes in uh, that, that, that's panned off to the left. And there's a like fuzz distortion guitar, almost like a ran through like a big muff pedal or something that's run, running along with that synthesizer on the right. I don't think there's a synth. I might be wrong on that, but I don't think there is. I think it's just, I think you nailed it with the, it's definitely Big Muff fuzz guitar. I think it's just a couple tracks of fuzz guitar and maybe, maybe it's possible that we used like, well, it was like Mooger Fooger um, synth. That's what it sounds like. That's, yeah. Yeah. Because I know, yeah, we were listening to a lot of, Siamese stream at the time and I, I remember people were like, Oh yeah, the the pumpkins use these pedals or whatever and so I wouldn't be surprised if we 
if that's what it was, probably. And, and again, the, the, the bridge to me at this point is getting stranger because I'm thinking in my head, especially the first time I listened to it, that, you know, a short eight seconds ago, we were in this like bell ringing part with this acoustic guitar. It's just like the, the mood has totally changed again here, all within about, you know, 10, 12 seconds. It's just really, really, really cool before we get into chorus three. And this is where the song to me just it just all I, I want to say comes together here and it just you, you get this almost double chorus at the end uh, because you get the counter melody with it. And I'll talk about that in a second. You get the the shalalas and then on the second line of the shalalas, that's when the first harmonies of the song come in on that first shalala. Then there's the call and response shalala. There's no harmony on that. And then the, the second line, the shalala's at the end there, there's a harmony. And then there's harmonies on all the rest of them. On the third line, the shalala, as soon as you say that, then you're also saying, yeah, 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 you can take me anywhere, which harkens back to that bridge lyric. And those two melodies running together is awesome. very last line of the song and when i got to this point and i told chris this uh <laughs> yesterday brett that i'm listening to the song for the first time and when it got to the end here i'm going please let the last shalalas be acapella please <laughs> they have to be right it has to be acapella please if there is a god please <laughs> and sure as hell it's acapella and i the goosebumps galore went off it's like a four-part harmony there that is Freaking awesome, man. Um, am I hearing four parts there? Uh, it's it's four. It might even be five because I'm not sure. It, it's definitely four. There's a really low one that I had to do like so many times to get it right because it's it was way lower than my range at the time. That low part's great. <laughs> It's very funny if you solo it, and it, it sounds hilarious. <laughs> so, again, talking about, you know, and, and that's been kind of a theme here on the show where, where people are like, this song was written in five minutes. It's either that or it's really labored upon, as you, as you had touched on earlier. Um, this ending part here doesn't sound like maybe that was something on a first idea. Did the having the counter melody along with the shalalas, is that something that came later or was that there from the very beginning? Do you recall? I do recall now that there was a demo for this because I did demo a lot of these vocals because I do remember now coming in and having that stuff worked out and I had a you know much thinner version of those harmonies where you know might not have been every one of the parts, but it was something that I, you know, worked out in my bedroom or whatever at the time. And if I say what I was influenced by to, to make this ending, it's simultaneously to me really funny. It's so bad and good at the exact same time. And that is, I remember the band had a couple 
like guilty pleasure artists of bands that we would listen to that we would kind of joke about that that we were really into that we would listen to on a fairly regular basis that sometimes we were like well we know this isn't technically cool but we don't care and i remember like we were really into lionel richie for one and i remember driving to record our first record we listened to journey's greatest hits um three times on the drive to the studio uh-huh. and so i sort of unabashedly love all of Journey's big hits. I know that it's completely over the top, whatever corporate pop rock, but they do that so well. And they had this song that ends with basically, a, I think it's like na 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 vocal, and it builds and builds and builds and builds and drops out and goes na 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 And if you listen to that and then listen to this, you'll be like, oh, I see. I see where where they got it from. So to me, that was like my, my like, I I love when Journey did this in the song and and it drops out and it's, and it's acapella at the end. And I was like, we have to do that. And so I remember like one member of the band in particular, basically being way too cool to like Journey and so thinking that that's awful so i would have never told him necessarily that that idea sort of came from that to me but of course you know again of course listen to the beatles and tons of beach boys growing up etc but for that particular moment yeah no i can i can totally hear journey especially with with your choice of notes that you had there at the end and like i said I was, I was, I said, please let this go acapella. It has to be here, right? And when it did, I was just, I, I was, I was happy for like two hours yesterday. Just maybe, I was, I was kind of giddy about that. It was just the parts <laughs> great. I love Journey too, so no shame there. So, question: So when you recorded the song and when it was done, you know, you knew, you kind of had the song in your head. It was written pretty quickly, as you said, and now it's recorded and you're listening to it come, come, come back at you. Did you think it was a special song? Did you think this is going to be the one that our fans gravitate to you? Or or was it still just another song on the record at that point? I can't say that particularly because I don't really remember. But I can say this, and that is when Josh came to band practice with the bass line and the guitar part for the verse, and he started playing it, I was like, "Show show me what those chords are. And he showed me the four chords. It's a, like a kind of cool little voicing that he did. And so I picked up a guitar and I was like, okay, let's use those same chords and change the order. And then that that makes a chorus. So it's the same exact four chords with the same voicing, but just played in a different order. So I played that, showed it to him. Band starts playing that. And I'm not kidding. Immediately, as soon as the band started playing it, I just grabbed the microphone and I sang the chorus exactly as it is. (laughs) The first thing that came out of my mouth, and I did it as a joke. It was just like a, I'm not even thinking about this. This is clearly not the song. I just sang it and immediately everybody started laughing. And when everybody started laughing, that's when you know like, oh, this is something. Because if, if it immediately elicits laughter, then it's like, this is touching something, this this hits an emotion. And so yeah. I think I just knew right then that like, oh, that just has to be what it is then. 
And so I think it was just like one of those lightning, you know, in a bottle or whatever kind of moments. So I, I do remember when the, the label heard the record, because we didn't send them, they never heard demos before we would make a record. But I remember when we sent them the record, I remember Brandon, the president of the label at the time saying, you know, calling me and freaking out over that song. So I think kind of, I guess some people kind of thought it was the, it was the song or whatever. Well, and, and the last thing I want to touch on here. So those shalalas, you, you just kind of did it as a placeholder. You sang it. There, there was some electricity in the room. The guys all looked at you. But was there ever uh, the thought of, you know what, maybe there's not enough here with shalalas. Uh, was there ever a thought of writing lyrics to that melody? I don't think there ever was because of that reaction. And, you know, you're talking, you talked earlier about our hometown of Latrobe and, and you mentioned Mr. Rogers and he has this thing that he would say. And I, I kind of always try to think about it. And it was like, he said, basically the best things are the things that are deep and simple as opposed to I guess more complicated or whatever. And I'm not saying that that's deep because obviously it's not deep at all, but there is something very powerful and magical sometimes about making things simpler. And I have to fight that at all times in my life. I always want to make things more complicated than they should be. I always want to add 800 more layers <laughs> on a piece of music than it needs. And then later I'll have to peel things back. Or I'll, if I'm writing an email, I want to over explain everything. Yeah, you're, you're a musician. It'd be, it'd be weird if you didn't. Yeah, so it's so nice to just sometimes go, you know what? say like this is kind of caveman i will use that analogy a lot where it's just like it's a caveman drum beat that starts the song in the sense that it's not tricky it's not fancy it's just this simple beat it's all you need and it's like that chorus melody because i wasn't thinking and because i wasn't trying to write something and i just sang the first thing that came to my head that's why it's good because because i wasn't trying and so i guess we just you know didn't ever feel the need to kind of turn it into something else just because it seemed to work, I guess. Right on, man. Well, hey, we're, we're about to wrap up again. I want to, I want to thank you for, uh, for sitting in and, and, uh, going through, through this tune with me. It, it, uh, I love it, man. This, this song is, this song is, is, is really great. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to leave the listeners at this point with, uh, what's going on with you, uh, and the band coming up? Well, we are playing a bunch of Emotion is Dead 21st <laughs> anniversary shows starting in September, as long as everything stays open, knock on wood. Perfect, man. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is the No Name Ska Band, a five-piece ska punk powerhouse out of Lake Worth, Florida. I've known their frontman Matt for quite a while, and I'm excited to announce that they have asked me to be a part of their record release party this Saturday, August 7th, at Propaganda in Lake Worth, Florida. I'll be playing solo with them that night, and it would be great to see all my crazy South Florida friends. The band consists of dual lead vocalists Matt Krug and Ben Childs, Andy Johnson on bass, Andres Valencia on trombone, and Justin Giannuzos on drums. The track I'm about to preview here is from the new album, which is titled Side 2. Here's a snippet of their song, Quit Whining. You're such a train wreck, we all know it's fake. If you're not happy, then you are to blame. You're the only one to make a change. But it's all you. Yes, it's all you. Oh, it's all you. It's all on you. Quit your Chris and Chris. So, Chris, this was a really special one for me. Being from Pittsburgh, the Juliana Theory was a band that really paved the way for my band and, and lots of other bands in our area. Now, keep in mind, Anti Flag was also from Pittsburgh, but they were from the more hard punk world, uh, whereas Juliana Theory were much more from like the pop world where. You know, it was something we could watch them and go, wow, they're not just popular in Pittsburgh and in our area. They're popular everywhere and they're out there. And we, we were seeing their band getting bigger and we were inspired by that. We saw that you could do this. So um, I don't know. And this song just takes me right back to that time watching the Juliana Theory first start to blow up, man. Well, you know, you can tell that, that Brett was influenced by a lot of post-punk and post-hardcore bands. And he was really into Sunny Day. Texas is the reason he had mentioned. And he said that, that you know, kind of got some uh, some grief, some flack from their fans for a song like this. And uh, good for him for stretching his wings and, and, and doing something like this song. This song is very different from what was going on that, that, that time in the musical climate. And uh, just... Like the bridge part of this song, where where it goes there, it's just uh, you could tell they, they they were taking chances and they and they weren't afraid to. Yeah, this song is definitely a feel good song. It's kind of an outlier. They do have a lot more heavy songs and songs that are influenced by that whatever you want to call it '90s emo before that term got really blown out to everything to, to every band that was playing a warp tour. I felt like, I feel like at some point they would have called less than Jake emo, <laughs> you know, like I feel like that, that term got so widely used at some point, but anyway, this song really stuck out as being like the most feel good pop song. And yeah, they did take some flack for it, I think, but it was also 
obviously very beloved uh, amongst people. Well, and it's interesting, too, that you look back and, you know, I had never heard of this song until recently. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, one of their their most popular, not one of their, it is their most popular uh, song, Juliana Theory. And this song, it just goes to show you time and place and luck and all these different factors. I mean, this could have been a smash hit back back in the day, back in 2000. Uh, you know, and it was it was a smash among their fans. But I I could have heard this. He referenced Third Eye Blind. I could have heard this song sandwich between a Third Eye Blind and a Matchbox Twenty song, and no one no one would have thought uh, anything anything about it. I couldn't agree more, man. This is this is a hit song. <laughs> you know, when I listen to this song, yeah. even now I'm like, this is a hit song, and and it makes sense that they got signed to a major label after this album. And geez, man, <laughs> you know, hindsight or whatever, like. Maybe this song should have been on the major label album, you know, maybe, maybe do it, do that thing, do the song again, you know, uh, because yeah, I feel like it is a, uh, a, a smash hit song regard in, you know, in, in a certain aspect, it was among fans of indie rock and emo or whatever at that time, it definitely was, but yeah, it could have been. <laughs> yeah, this could have been in the top 10 in, in the country for sure, I think, you know? Yeah, well, and I also got to say, and I think I speak for you on this too, Chris, that I've lost count now how many times on the show someone has said, yeah, this song wasn't really, you know, we didn't put much thought into right. it. It just kind of came, you know, he, he said it it came from the heavens, just something that came down, you know, that, that just kind of happened and it was quick and it wasn't overthought. Those those falsetto parts that, that I thought for sure were were uh, maybe done in the spies. Like, no, that was there from the very beginning. Everything was there. And that's that's awesome. I loved his story about the fact that he started singing that melody in the Shalalas when they started playing at a practice and that his bandmates started laughing and that he knew the <laughs> fact that it evoked that laughter from them meant that there was something being done right there. I thought that was a real, that's the first time I've heard that story before, but I, I think that's great. That's awesome. And uh, you know, the, the band, oh man, everybody, awesome players. I, I got to give a shout out to Josh Fiedler. I play in a band called pack with together. The dude is a beastly guitarist, man. And, and writer. And yeah, I've experienced this in Pack as well, where he came in with, you know, not only the guitar part, but also the bass line, <laughs> you know? Uh, Another thing I thought that was interesting was when Brett said he, you know, one of his heroes, one of the b- biggest influences was Jawbox. And Jay Robbins, of course, uh, you know, has, has produced a ton of ton of great records and he had a chance to work with him, but it was going to come at a cost. Uh, they were only going to get a couple days with him versus being able to go and be a little more relaxed with Barry and, you know, not taking anything away from Jay Robbins, but this does not sound like a Jay Robbins production. I they This song would not have happened uh, without Barry. I got to give, uh, got to give some, uh, some kudos here to the producer very mature decision for them being a young band to go with the the more time there especially because dude i had a few friends who recorded with jay robbins and i I mean this isn't me saying anything bad about jay robbins but more just a lot of those recordings were very um raw you know, like, I don't think you would have got this song with Jay Robbins. I- that, 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 that's what I was saying. You know, Jay Robbins reminds me more of kind of like when we, we, when we had Blake on from Jawbreaker, Jay and Steve Albini. They kind of just right. capture, capture the raw, 
uh, sound of the band. They don't like doing a lot of overdubs and a lot of overthought parts. And this bridge part's pretty intricate. There's a lot going on here. And, uh, you know, I, I also thought it was funny. I had to kind of jog Brett's memory. Of course, this song is now uh, over 20 years old, but uh, I, I swear that's a synthesizer in there. But uh, he's like, wait, I, I don't know if there was one, but uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And and I called it. It was a it was a big muff distortion uh, distortion pedal there. Just such a cool, cool part. You and I can relate to this. And anyone who has a Logic session or a Pro Tools session open with the freedom to just go wild <laughs> he talked about fighting the urge to overcomplicate things because it's very easy to just go nuts with the tracks add <laughs> you know add 50 uh you know accompanying uh, tracks add 20 vocal tracks it's very easy to do that and it's kind of an art in itself to be able to strip things down to the necessary parts and not overcomplicate it. Yeah, you know, and he, he referenced Journey because I certainly heard Journey in that, especially the acapella part at the end. And, you know, they, they didn't overdo this song. You know, it didn't get, uh, the harmonies didn't come in at all. No harmonies in this song anywhere till the last chorus, the third chorus in, in, in the tune. And I just, you know, the, the way this song built, uh, as well as what, what Brett said uh, about the reaction from the band, because I had said, you know, did you ever think about, you know, putting words in there over that? And he's like, no, the reaction was just too good. That it, 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 mm-hmm. that was the part. It didn't need to be anything but that. And, you know, I had even said to you, uh, Chris, I said, <laughs> do we have an episode here? It's mostly shalalas. And then when I really <laughs> dug into this song, there's so much here to talk about uh, as, as evidenced by, uh, by the episode. There's no doubt about it that they are an amazing rock band, a big influence on myself and lots of my friends from this area, especially. The dudes could write the most rockin' songs on earth, but... I will say, in this instance, they wrote a perfect pop song, and that's pretty cool. And I'll tell you what else is really cool, Chris. What? We know podcasting. Chris, tell us all about it. Yeah, we know podcasting. If you enjoy this podcast, if you if it's a real enjoyable listen for you, I have a company, me and my friend Matt. It's uh, weknowpodcasting.com. And if you have an existing podcast or if you've always wanted to start one but you don't really know what to do, uh, we can help you out. And actually, Chris, if you don't mind, I'll run this little ad that kind of uh, might convince someone. Let's hear it. Well, I don't know. Everyone has a podcast now. Well, not really. What is true is that, according to Nielsen statistics, 55% of the U.S. population, that's over 155 million people, have listened to a podcast, and 24% of the population, that's 68 million people, listen to podcasts weekly. And these numbers continue to trend upward. What's also true is that over 75% of all podcasts fade away after the first few episodes. It could be for a variety of reasons, lack of strong concept, poor production value, people not realizing how much time needs to be dedicated to it, or simply just not knowing how to get the word out about podcasts. That's where WeKnowPodcasting.com comes in. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have a combined 25 years of podcast experience, and we can help you achieve your podcasting goals. Whether you need help starting a new podcast or want to take your currently active podcast to the next level, we got you. From consultations to concept development, from theme music to editing, promotion, animation, graphics, you name it, and we're here to help. Don't become another failed podcast statistic. Let us guide you and help your show become a success. Check out the website at weknowpodcasting.com. And even if you're on the fence, don't hesitate to reach out. We're friendly guys, we're passionate about pods, and we're here to help. 
That's right. We know podcasting. I got to be honest with you guys. Uh, before I started this podcast with Chris, I had no idea how to edit, do any of this thing to make uh, to make me sound good as a host. Chris makes me sound good. These guys know what they're doing. So uh, please don't hesitate to hit them up. Uh, they will get you going. Do you think that you know podcasting now? Um, <laughs> I know that I sound halfway decent because of you, but if I had to do it from the ground up, uh, I'm, I'll put it this way. I'm better than I was a year ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, man. I would say that you know podcasting podcasting now and another thing i think you know is playing shows and i believe you're playing a show this week right i certainly am chris i'm playing this saturday august 7th down in lake worth florida playing a solo acoustic show at propaganda with the no name ska band they're my friends they are releasing their brand new album called side two it's a record release party so uh come on out to propaganda in lake worth it's gonna be a good time hell yeah man and if anyone hasn't yet please on Apple Podcasts, go leave Krista Makes a Podcast a five-star review. The more reviews we get, the more people know about our podcast, and that will help us get more and more guests that you want to hear and things like that. And also, follow your host, Krista Makes, at Less Than Chris D on Instagram. Well, thank you, Chris, for the wonderful plug. I didn't I didn't even prod you to say that this week. That's awesome. <laughs> Not one bit. <laughs> want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in again this week and for supporting us. We really appreciate it. I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Brett Detter from the Juliana Theory for sitting in with us, and we'll see you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans... We set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.